What is up, Lint Lucid Podcast fans? We are happy to have you back for season eight of the show. This season is brought to you by Vera Health, an amazing cannabis company located right here in Denver, Colorado. Visit our website, litlucid.com, to learn more about our sponsors and to view our previous episodes. And if you're enjoying the show, be sure to share with a friend and give us a review on your favorite platform. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording in season eight of the show. So thank you to all of our listeners who have joined us in this journey so far. Uh, Today, we have a special guest. His name is Matthew Morgan. He is the CEO of OneCore. He is currently located out of Arizona. What's up, Matthew? Hey, how are you guys doing today? Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Glad you could, uh, could join us on this wonderful Wednesday. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think our listeners are going to have a special treat today. Uh, Matthew is a serial entrepreneur in the cannabis space. He is a small town boy out of Missoula, uh, Montana, and he had dreams of becoming an entrepreneur. Um, at the time, he was working in real estate, and in 2008, he decided to make a pivot, as many people did, and he used some of his background and knowledge in farming, and he decided to start a cultivation, which quickly grew to a 15,000 square foot cultivation in Montana. Um, And I know that there was some trouble with that and that ended up being shut down. And at that time, you had to pivot again and you moved to Arizona where you started a chain of hydroponic stores. And then from there, you know, things really blossomed. Um, You started Bloom Dispensaries, which grew very quickly. I know you guys had over $1 million in sales a month, which was huge at that time. Um, And then from there, you've also created Reef Dispensaries, which is a very large dispensary group in Nevada and Arizona, and a bunch of other things since then. So I'm going to just let you take it from there and backtrack if you want and kind of just let us know why you got started in the industry and how we got to today. Yeah, most definitely. So, um, born and raised, uh, as a farm kid in Montana, my grandparents farm right outside of Missoula, uh, decided early at an early age, probably in high school that I didn't want to follow in my family's footsteps and take over the family business, if you will. Um, as much as I love farming, it just wasn't, it wasn't going to be for me for the rest of my life. So, um, started looking at other opportunities, um, went in high school and decided I was going to, uh, I was very interested in business, so I was going to go and go to college and get an MBA eventually. Um, I made it about 10 days in college and decided that I wasn't going to pursue college any longer. Um, I felt like I wasn't getting the type of information I was looking for. And so after 10 days, I dropped out and and decided to take another route. Um, My family was extremely upset when I dropped out of college, given that a lot of them had never gone to college, so they wanted me to do so. And uh, to appease them, I ended up becoming an electrician apprentice when I was 19 with the union. I did that for a year and a half and decided that I wasn't going to be an electrician for the rest of my life. And that wasn't the kind of uh, working environment I wanted to be around uh, on a regular basis. So I ended up resigning from my um, electrical apprenticeship after a year and a half. And that's when I decided to get into real estate. And that's really when uh, my entrepreneurial drive kicked in because it's a kill what you eat type of business. So if you don't sell houses, you don't get paid. (laughs) It is what it is. So um, I ended up figuring out that I thrive in those type of environments very well and it ended up taking me about six months to sell my first house because I was 20 years 
baseball at the time. I looked like I was probably 12 in a suit that was five times too big for me. So I could totally understand why people wouldn't want to trust me with making such a sizable investment. Um, after I sold my first house, got my beak wet, I, I did very well, started selling a lot of houses. Um, had a very successful real estate career. By the time I was 22, I was the managing partner of a real estate company. Nice. And when I turned 23, 2008 rolled around and uh, we had a bit of an economic collapse in this country and beyond. So um, from there, I was overextended like any young, aggressive entrepreneur would be. And I kind of fell flat on my face. Great learning experience. And I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, and while at the tail end of my real estate career, I was people were calling me asking for looking to look at houses. Uh, they were very specific. I want a house. I want five acres. I want a big shop in the back. Hmm. So I call them back and say, hey, I found the house you're looking for, but it does, doesn't have the shop. And they're like, no deal. So after about the fifth time, I'm like, what gives? Like, what's up with these shops? <laughs> Like, oh, we're moving to the state to grow medical marijuana. Uh. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, what is what is going on around here? <laughs> um, that coupled with some of my closest friends, um, a couple of them went to the Iraqi war in 2004. And they uh, came back with extreme PTSD, mm -hmm. um, over 100% disability, you know, deemed by the VA. And the VA's answer for that is to put them on a bunch of synthet synthetic pharmaceuticals. And let's vegetableize them on the couch, and then they can't hurt themselves or anyone else. So yeah, uh, when I saw my friends in this shape, I was disheartened, and I, I, was, I didn't even know who they were anymore, right? So we decided to try medical cannabis as an alternative to the pharmaceuticals, and it ended up working very well. They started using cannabis several times a day and got off all those pharmaceuticals and got a second chance at life. Nice. So that's when I was like, wow, there's a lot more to this plant than anyone's giving credit to. And this is 2007-ish, 2008, early 2008. Um, yeah. And so fall of 2008, I decided to give up everything else and go all in on cannabis. And I didn't know anything about manufacturing cannabis, distribution, nothing. So I went and got my medical card so I could grow six plants legally. Um, did that. Semi-arrogant, I thought I'd, I could just get involved with this and you know be, be a leader. Um, that was far from the case. It's, it's much more challenging than people uh, expect early on. I hit every branch on the way out of the tree, um, <laughs> over water, over nutrient, wrong lighting. Um, everything I did, I messed up. So I'm, I'm a semi-quick study, ended up getting my feet under me very quickly. And then it, I ended up scaling in Montana to building one of the largest uh, cultivations in time up there, which was 15,000 feet. Had over 3,000 plants in there, and we were doing very well. Um, that's when the state decided that they didn't like the marijuana program and that it was too robust and it was booming. So they decided to come have an emergency legislation session, come in and revamp all the rules, basically making it so that each caregiver could only grow up to 18 plants. Oh, wow. Um, I had, I had, you know, 31, 3,200. So that yeah. wasn't going to work for me. <laughs> yeah. So I started looking around the, the country. I'm like, all right, who has a program where I can really build something of, of stature and, you know, where I can really scale. So at the time, 2010, um, Arizona was rolling out a very robust program, the, the most favorable program in the state for its time. It was it was ahead of its time for sure. Limited privilege licenses, unlimited weight, unlimited cultivation. Um, so really, they allowed you to scale to the fullest extent on the manufacturing side while limiting the amount of consumer-facing storefronts, which is, in my opinion, probably the right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Moved, picked, packed up my Silverado, put all my <laughs> stuff in the back, and drove to Arizona. Um, within a couple of weeks of making that decision. Um, the, the program wasn't quite ready yet, so I ended up starting a chain of hydroponic stores called Ugrow. And by design or default, it ended up making me network throughout the whole cannabis community in the state, which was very helpful long term. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. That was fun. And then um, 
I started to dig more into the program, and I realized that they weren't going to get some random kid from Montana one of these these licenses. <laughs> they're they're too they're they're worth too much money. It's, it's the good old boys club. It's all of the above. So I started trying to craft a plan to where I could obtain one of these licenses in the in the allocation. And I ended up meeting a, a decorated senator's son, uh, and we ended up getting along very well. And I was like, "Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we apply for these licenses and then put your dad's name on them?" <laughs> he's like, "He's like, that's a great idea." So that's what we did. Nice. And um, okay. <laughs> and we thought it was going to be a qualitative process. Arizona got cold feet at the last second, and ended up making it a, a straight lottery. Like literally, you had balls in a hopper, oh, and they televised God. it. And oh my so gosh. it was like you. It was like you were going to win a lottery ticket, right? Yeah. yeah. So just by sheer luck, we ended up winning uh, the Sedona license, which is really cool. And, you know, nice. it's a very unique place. So it's uh-huh. kind of like a feather in the cap to have your dispensary in Sedona. But, I, you know, I understood quickly that there was no way I could scale and get to the volume and the throughput I was looking for with, a, you know, a small shop in Sedona. Mm-hmm. So we started hunting for other licenses. And we found a guy that had won the downtown Phoenix license. And I was like, oh, perfect. Oh, yeah. let's, um, let's talk to this guy and see if we can get that license. That's much more our speed. So we ended up cutting a deal with him, acquiring that license. I went and raised seven million privately from friends and family in Arizona that I'd met through networking, and we started Bloom Dispensaries. Yeah. Uh, so we built out a sizable cultivation, I think twenty twenty five thousand feet, something like that. This is two thousand early twelve, middle mid twelve somewhere in there. Nice. And, um, and you guys were like really early into this then. Yeah. Oh, I was the first one that started doing text blasts and yeah. specials and all that <laughs> stuff. So. I ended up just crushing everyone with text blasts and the competitors had no idea what to do. That's epic. Um, and I think being extremely young for the position was, gave me a huge leg up on everyone. Yeah. Cause I really leaned on technology when these older operators who had the means to get these licenses, they, they didn't need, some didn't know how to turn a computer. Yeah. That's what I was yeah. just thinking. So, <laughs> so early days I'm, I'm blasting texts out to my database, retargeting with emails, just all the stuff I learned in real estate. I reapplied it to just hammering on your, on your base of, of consumers. So, um, Bloom went from zero first day to a million a month in revenue in less than a year. Um, I was, you know, I was the hottest thing in Arizona. Yeah. And then we grabbed another couple of dispensaries in, uh, in Tucson and expanded Bloom into Tucson. And that's kind of when I started to get the attention of, um, some private equity guys, family offices, stuff like that. Um, a family office out of Southern Florida came in and tried to, tried to buy Bloom, um, so that they could then, then scale with me. The initial investors said that uh, they wanted 10 times their money <laughs> for a payback, so that Jeez, wasn't going to work, yeah. obviously. Uh, so the family office flew me back to Florida where they're, where they're based and just said, we don't even care about Bloom, we just want you. How do we get you? So I was like, make me an offer. Um, and Essentially, so we started Nuco, and they, they and we shared the cap table with Nuco, and then they funded it with $100 million. Wow, okay. And that was, and I divested out of Bloom, and, and my partner ran with that, and then I, start, I ran with Nuco which essentially became um, reef dispensaries. Yeah. Okay. So um, obviously I had a much more, I had much more capital to work with, with oh, yeah, reef. Yeah. So I, I got to do a lot more creative, creative and innovative things, which kind of shook up the, the vertical, which I like to do. Um, so in three and a half years with reef, I, I think when we, we first struck the deal, I was 28 years old and then I uh, started deploying the capital and building a very sizable operation. And in three and a half years, um, we were chugging along at about $100 million revenue run rate. I had 450 employees under my management. Um, we had deals with Burner, Wiz Khalifa, Jungle Boys, you know, kind of the who's who in the space. Um, we had the busiest dispensary in the world. Uh, we were doing about $42 million out of one store. Um, and that's when things just started to spiral out of control, and we were kind of thrust into the spotlight. And I was 
on every news station and doing interviews and didn't quite know what to make of it. But, uh, you know, it was pretty cool and eye opening for, from a, for a farm kid from Montana. So, yeah. um, Yo, what a journey. From, Holy cow. Right. Right. <laughs> so right. far. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely going to write some books as uh, I get some more free time, but definitely not right now. <laughs> so from there, um, you know, I decided me and the family office kind of started to have a little bit of friction between us um, as the thing just turned into a complete cash cow. I'm sure they just wanted me out. <laughs> but I ended up uh, after kind of going back and forth for about six months, I ended up resigning as CEO uh, of Reef and then that forced a buyout. Um, from there, I built a relationship with a guy named Dan Balzeri and we were both two young guys in, in Vegas that were running around. So we became pretty close friends. And uh, after I resigned from Reef, he, he kind of hit me up and said, hey, I want to I want to do a cannabis brand, so I want to do it with you and nobody else. Um, so we created Ignite, and he's still running with that. Um, but it, it's got a little too noisy for me, and I couldn't concentrate anymore, so I had to remove myself from that situation as well. <laughs> it's hard It's hard to concentrate when there's noise all the way around you all the time. So, yeah. um, New Horizons, I, decided, I think. Maybe right, that's what I decided that to um, you know, move away from that, and that's, that's when I really took a step back and started looking at what – like recreational cannabis was disruptive, but it's starting to become a normal thing, mm -hmm. you know, with all the states coming on for rec, medical, you know, it, it's, at some point the feds are going to legalize it. So oh, wow. it didn't have the same intrigue to it that it once did. And this is 2018. Um, and so I decided to start looking at how, uh, what other verticals I could disrupt with the planet. And the next vertical that came to mind, I, I felt was the next big thing was farm disrupting pharma with cannabinoids and flavonoids oh, yeah. and terpenes and everything else out of the plant. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up partnering with a gentleman who had been, he's 70 years old, New York guy, been an extremely successful entrepreneur throughout his life. And he has a lot of experience in that space. So we ended up partnering up and creating one core pharmaceutical. Um, really, and the business model there is, you know, I've served over 3 million people with cannabis in my life. Um, and what I saw was, many, many lives being improved for the positive, whether it was a stage four cancer patient, whether it was someone with Lyme disease or someone that couldn't sleep. I mean, I could go on and on, but I've seen tens of thousands of lives change for, for the much better. And there's not one human being in this world that can tell you why. Mm -hmm. Nobody understands the mechanism of action of why this is happening inside of your body with this plant. So first and foremost, we started building a world-class science team. Joe Fornak is our chief science officer. Uh, he led Abbott Labs for 21 years. He's placed about $300 billion worth of pharmaceuticals on the market. Wow. He left the pharmaceutical space uh, because ethical reasons. He's a very ethical guy, and he doesn't feel that the pharmaceutical vertical is ethical whatsoever. Literally, if there's a drug that will save lives, they don't have to go to market if it doesn't, if it doesn't make enough money. Yep. Like that's, that's wrong, in my opinion. Um, that nothing should be put above human life. And so he came to us, um, he, well, we came to him and said, would you like to be our chief science officer? And he said, I'd love to. And he was actually leading the chemistry department at Howard University in D.C. Cool. And after he kind of took a look under the hood of what we had going, he ended up leaving Howard University as oh, wow. in the, overseeing their chemistry department to come with us full time. Wow. From there, we ended up pulling in, um, uh, we ended up pulling in Teo Daji, and he's former head of the uh, Neuroscience at John Hopkins University. Oh my gosh, that's um, amazing! Bob Ga Bob Gallo, who's probably one of the most famous scientists in the world, he's the co-discoverer of the HIV virus. <laughs> um, we ended up pulling in Dedi Mary out of Israel. 
Um, and he's arguably the number one cannabinoid researcher in the world. Yeah. He's isolated 150 cannabinoids currently. That's crazy. That could end up being a much larger number. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, a couple other gentlemen, and they're, they're all just top-tier guys. You mm-hmm. know, they, they, A lot of them teach at MIT or or Harvard um, in their in their free time if they have any. It was funny when Bob Gallo sent me his resume. I was like, I kept bugging these people to send me his resume, and I got it, and it was like 185 pages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Uh, so that's, you know, de- dealing with the, I love I love working with the academia science individuals, and they just yeah. have such a different viewpoint on the world, and it's so refreshing, and I, they're really there to understand why things are happening and to try and help as many people as possible, so yeah. I love that. Um, we're working on some studies uh, with cannabinoids and different things, modalities such as pain, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, um, anti, anti-wrinkle, wound healing. And then we're also going to start venturing into some pet studies as well for yeah. canines and, and, and beyond. And really what we're trying to understand is the mechanisms of action as to why so many benefits are coming from take, in taking cannabinoids into the human body. Yeah. So obviously we can't just continue doing research forever. We have to make money at some point, right? To continue the research, else we'll all all end up dead in the water. So um, the high-level strategy is to really disrupt the -the over-the-counter pharmaceutical market. So you know, we want to disrupt the ibuprofens and the NyQuil's of the world and stuff like that because contrary to popular belief, those pharmaceuticals are very damaging to your body. Um, Most people don't know this, but... Uh, more people die from over-the-counter painkillers, uh, Advil, ibuprofen, aspirin, uh, than they do from opiate overdoses in this country. That's incredible. Wow. And the reason that happens is because 85% of America has chronic pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people take, you know, four ibuprofen. Maybe a construction guy wakes up, his back hurts in the morning, takes four ibuprofen. And at lunch, he has to take four more. And at night, he has to take eight to fall asleep. That's That's extremely hard on your liver and doing that every single day eventually you die your liver shuts down and you die so if i can give you something that's only two parts ibuprofen and 10 parts or eight parts cannabinoid versus 10 parts ibuprofen you're only getting 20 percent as much damage to your liver while still feeling 100 percent of the relief from the um from the pain that's incredible and so um so, yeah, that's really the plan. Um, we're working some, with some very big names on the OneCore side as far as some partnerships to really start rolling out um, different uh, proprietary products on a grandiose scale across the country. And so from there, we um, you know, we started looking at how, how do we take this thing public? Who do we merge with? Who do we acquire? What's the next step on this chess for? So uh, a good friend of mine, Derek Peterson, he had a multi-state cannabis company called Terratech is the holding company, and then the consumer-facing retail brand would be Bloom, B-L-U-M, not the Bloom, B-L-O-O-M that I started <laughs> in 2012 in Arizona. So just by sheer coincidence, they end up <laughs> yeah. having a very similar name, and it's kind of funny. But we got together. I showed him what I have going. I kind of looked at his asset stack, and you know we're, we're very close on a personal level. So uh, we just decided why not combine forces, you know, merge together, and then kind of run all the assets up together collectively. Um, and so that's kind of what we're working on now. We're hoping to uh, close that merger um, mid-January and then, uh, you know, just keep embarking on our journey of running up the THC assets on the Bloom side as well as running up um, one core on the biotech pharma side. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool how your whole background kind of came full circle, not just with, you know, the names of everything, but, you know, you started it because of your, your friends that were in the military with PTSD and now, um, now you're here, you know, hopefully 
helping to develop medications and different you know types of pharmaceuticals, plant-based pharmaceuticals for the future that could help a lot more people. Absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty that's, cool. that's the plan. My, my really my life objective is to better as many human lives as possible. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that's tens or hundreds of millions of people. But that's really, you know, what my goal is in life. So, yeah. well, I mean, if cannabis can infiltrate into the pharmaceutical industry, that would be huge. I mean, that's obviously, you know, the objective to get everybody plant medicine. So what, what has the conversations been like? Like, you know, what are they saying about that? Uh, who specifically? Like, just like pharmaceutical companies or like, you know, these people you're looking to partner um, with. So I've actually partnered with a global pharmaceutical company. Um, we're, we're just working on what that looks like exactly. But the mutual understanding is that we're going to have a partnership. Um, and so this specific pharmaceutical company, the chairman actually of this company actually believes that cannabinoids will be the most disruptive component in the pharmaceutical space in the 21st century. And he wholeheartedly believes that. And he built this multi-billion billion dollar pharmaceutical company from scratch. So he, it's not like he's lacking intelligence. By oh, him. absolutely. So he, that's why he wants to get so close to us because he feels that we're going to have a leg up from a competitive advantage on the cannabinoid side. And he wants to stay very close to us mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as these things transpire and it rolls out. But my personal thought on how this is going to work is there's no denying that cannabinoids – have a ton of health benefits for human beings and any mammal for that matter. We all have endocannabinoid systems. But what I would say is my personal theory on how it's going to work is farmers is going to be hands off right now. They're going to let the, the entrepreneurs bust their butts, figure it out, you know, get everything yeah. in line and then they'll come buy who they yeah, want to buy. And it. that's how they'll control the space. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my theory on how this is going to work. Yeah. So, I mean, it's totally advantageous of you then to start developing these assets and, putting together teams to, you know, create patents and other things that you can deploy. Yeah, later. We've uh, submitted three patents already. And we believe that will end up as we drill down and get more direct and granular on these patents. We believe those three patents will end up becoming about 15 patents. Wow. So we really are creating a house of IP on the one core side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a great move just considering you know, the evolution of the space. Now it's beyond just, you know, selling weed at a dispensary. I think it's much more intricate and, and advanced. And, Absolutely. you know, I laud that you kind of did step away from that. Cause I mean, how much more can you really gain from that? You're kind of a master of that art and really, um, I think your skills and your passion can be placed elsewhere. I, I mean, just to give you guys an analogy, I feel like I could build a massive cannabis company in my sleep. Like it's like riding oh, a bike. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's why I'm excited to get back you know, in in the driver's seat with with the THC assets at Bloom because I think we can do some very innovative, disruptive things on the mm-hmm. THC side as well, running concurrent with the one core studies and you know working on um, penetrating the pharmaceutical market. So I'm excited to be able to wear both hats again. I've been out of the THC business um, since since uh, mid so about 18 months. So I'm uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to get back in and you know see it's if I still have to go it. Back, huh? I'm very confident in my in my executional abilities on the THC side. Um, and so I, I still have to prove myself on the pharmaceutical side, obviously, but I'm, I'm definitely up for the challenge. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's talk about that. You know, you're talking about disrupting the market and I know, you know, reef dispensary is a huge dispensary. That's very popular. What sets those kind of dispensaries apart? Like, what are you guys actually doing for like the consumer experience that makes it different from, let's say like a MedMen or something like that? So what's reef, I would say one of my big advantages well i had a couple i had a i had a large pot of money that i could be very creative with right so i literally landed in vegas i i I found a very prominent real estate agent there and i said bring me 
to the biggest heavy industrial zone building that you have on the market that's as close to the strip as possible without being inside the gaming corridor. And that's where they brought me to that beautiful building <laughs> that is now the headquarters of Reef Dispensaries. And I said, I'll take it. And I closed cash offer in 14 days on it. And wow. what I was trying to yeah. do was Vegas is a wow town, right? So you have to wow people. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to create such a massive presence that everyone was wowed. Yeah. And so I basically bought a building as, as big as Walmart and I painted it. If you looked at Denver, right? And I looked at the other large cannabis companies, everything they did, they did it almost in secrecy, mm -hmm. whether it was for fear of the Fed or whatever it may be. No one was loud. And I was yeah. just like, you know what? We don't break we don't break law any state laws. We pay all of our taxes. We don't, you know, do anything out of the norm except that this is a federal illegal substance. Mm -hmm. But they're just not enforcing, mm -hmm. right? So I I was like, I'm I'm gonna be loud, I'm gonna be out there, I'm gonna put it all out there. I'm not gonna try and mask that that building's a cannabis company because it is. I'm gonna paint it all the way across. <laughs> I have a seven hundred and forty foot billboard that faces the strip, I'm gonna paint it. <laughs> And uh, early on, it was I almost put a Shark Tank in there oh for an experience, but it was too ex it was too expensive. I just couldn't I couldn't deploy a couple million dollars for a Shark Tank. Oh my gosh, that's intense! But it's reef dispensaries, right? It's so reef, my theme yeah. was gonna I was oh, gonna have a true. crazy uh, aquatic theme throughout every dispensary, and it still has a theme. I just I couldn't make these massive fish tanks. <laughs> I mean, so, either way, um, though, I think. With or without the sharks, I still think you uh, you accomplished your goal of getting some attention. Yeah, and I did it in other ways, right? So instead of a, a classy experience, I, I started pulling in the tastemakers and the, the influencers of the, of the cannabis space. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I started with Burner. Um, then, we, we, then we started working with Wiz and the Jungle Boys. And between that and me kind of being the first company to understand how powerful social media was, mm -hmm. I started hammering Instagram right away with yeah. Reef. Nice. And then I, I started get you know, I started getting Wiz Incorporated and Burner. And so there was a, a ton of momentum from yeah. this online presence and all the young trendsetters saw all this every day. And of course, they're all going to want to shop at Reef. Yep. And guess what? When they start shopping at Reef, the trendsetters, everybody wants to go to Reef. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's really how it ended up working out. I would say I was probably one of the first to start utilizing influential celebrity type characters. I feel like I was really the first one to really step on the gas on social media, which was the most innovative marketing tool anyone had ever seen. Yeah. And just creating a destination location that had a wow factor to it um, really just kind of put the stake in the ground for, for dominance in the, in the space at that time. I mean, when, you know, when I was running Reef 2000, summer 2017, we, were, we had to be the hottest cannabis company in North America. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were, you know, we were getting crazy offers from Canadian pubcos and everything else. So there was, you know, we, we were making a ton of noise. Um, and if you have one flagship like we did in, in Vegas right by the Strip, people will go to the other locations just because they want to go to yeah. Reef Dispensaries. Everyone's talking about the big one. They'll still go to the small ones just because there's not a big one around them. Yeah. So once you have the noise from the big one, you have that brand recognition, and they associate even the smaller stores to that big one. So yeah. just tying everything together, keeping it very uniform. Um, I feel like we had amazing training programs for our for our staff. Um, I'm very big on culture. Yeah, uh, I hire off core values. I can teach anyone anything, but I can't teach them their core values. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I had Reef, almost 500 employees, I'd have consultants, contractors come in and say that it was the strongest culture they've ever seen in the company. That's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. Um, That's very. You important. know, and they and the and the staff would see me take on my own garbage or be out in the parking lot picking up trash. Like I, I'll do anything. I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I'm not. I'm not above anything. I think you could see I, I that. Think, I mean, that's kind of why we prompt. Montana. Yeah, sorry. Montana definitely helped me, you know, 
humanize me, make me understand that everyone's a person, everyone yeah. deserves to be treated equally. Hard. There's no. There's no shortcuts for hard work. You have to work hard. You know, achieve what you want to achieve. So, um, even though there's limited business in Montana, I would never trade that upbringing because it gave me such strong values. Mm-hmm. And I think that has, ex- that has exponentially paid for itself through my business journey in around the rest of the country. You know, I think people. I think people trust me right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I always do what I say I'm going to do, and that's better than 95% of the industry. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, just, just doing simple things like, you know, being a decent person, like all these things are, are legs up against your competition. Um, but our staff was amazing and the staff treated the patients like, you know, they were the number one and people felt really special and important when they'd go in those stores and that's what they want. People are just going in there to buy cannabis. People are going yeah. in there to tell you about their problems, to tell mm-hmm. you their story, to tell you how they ended up there. They, they want, I always said to my, to my staff, I said, they want to buy amazing products, but they also want to be heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you can be their, their, their ear, they're going to keep coming back to you. They want, they just want someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so all of these things really, I just think, um, were innovative for their time. And, you know, then I think the cookie cutters and like the med men's of the world tried to come in and try to replicate something similar to that without some of the other draws, like the you know, celebrity endorsements and stuff like that. It was mm-hmm. more of just a corporate, we're going to have 500 stores and you're going to see one on every street corner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think that's evident. And that's kind of why we prompted you with the questions just because, uh, I mean, your past and then just, you know, how it's all kind of culminated to this point. Clearly, there's a culture with what you do and people follow you for a reason. And I think that goes all the way down to your employees. They, you know, you can't have a successful business unless your employees believe in it. And so I think you've helped to kind of foster that through, you know, what you mentioned, core values and culture. Right. I like to lead by example, not by fear. And I prefer to inspire people instead of scare them. And, you know. <laughs> It seems to have worked out semi well. So. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's the, that's the truth. Nobody likes to be scared. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 life's too short to be scared or you know unhappy or anything like that. So yeah, surround you. I always say I I work with people because I had to in my twenties, and I work with people that I want to in my thirties. Nice. Oh, I love that. That's <laughs> yeah. solid. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> We're still working there, but we'll get there. I feel you. Hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel, guys. Don't worry. Yeah, there is, yeah. Well, if you guys haven't already been inspired by Matthew, which I don't know how you couldn't be, um, why don't you just wrap up with some advice to young entrepreneurs looking to enter this industry? Absolutely. So just a, as a, you know, a general comment about entrepreneurs, I would say, what because I, I, I went through all the struggles. I've seen it all. I've cried in my truck many times. Um, looking back, I almost gave up a lot. There was probably a dozen times where I was within five minutes of throwing in the towel and going to get a job at Costco, you know. <laughs> um, thank God I didn't. But <laughs> um, be persistent and don't give up. And it sounds cliche, but it's not because I keep saying this. And then I see a, a young person try something, fail, try it again. And I'm like, this, this, this will never work. This is too hard. Yeah, it's hard. And most people don't end up doing it because they're – they're not, it's not lack of intelligence or driving or that. It's that they give up too easily. Mm-hmm. If they, if they try 99 times and fail, it might've been the hundredth time when they actually succeeded and yeah. no one ever talks about your failures anyway. They only talk about your successes. So mm-hmm. it's a exactly, numbers game. Yeah. It's like the rest of the world, right? Yeah. So I would just say, even if you failed 50 times, just keep going. I think Colonel Sanders, before he sold, got sold the KFC, the Kentucky Fried Chicken deal, it was like four, 498 times he got denied and like the 499th, <laughs> he got, you know, he, he got a deal. Yeah. yeah. Not many human beings will get denied 498 times. That's a lot. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That's persistence, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, as far as the space, um, you just have to absorb as much information as possible. 
Um, I would highly recommend getting a, a sophisticated mentor or two that's been around the block. There's no, there's nothing you can do that would, that would propel you faster than having older people that are established helping you through, you know, navigate through the channels and avoiding all the pitfalls. Yeah. I have, you know, I have five advisors now. Um, you know, all people in their sixties and seventies that have fortune 500 CEO or, you know, this CFO of, you know, five public traded companies It's people like that, that I can't learn. I couldn't go to any school and learn that. That's real life experience that only they could, you know, coach you with and, and navigate you with. So find someone that you look up to in the space and ask if they can mentor you and try to add as much value to that person's life as possible. And, you know, I think that's the fastest way to really get aggressive in the space. Um, Become as knowledgeable as possible, whether that's online or going to dispensaries or going to local forums, online communities. Um, there's a lot of different places to, to gather. Just soak up as much knowledge as you can. Your brain's like a sponge, so mm-hmm. if you really want something, you should become an encyclopedia on that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has 24 hours in a day, so they should yeah. all be used accordingly, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. No more TV. No, no more video games. Read books. Uh, self-improvement books find things that you that that better your life and, and really dive in and absorb into those things that's 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 my two cents that's, that's great that's pretty solid advice yeah. truly thank you he's got a lot of stuff there i think the mentor thing's huge lucy and i talk about this a lot and we're trying to incorporate that into our practice but you know there's stuff where you, know, you can sit there and read a book but even then you know there's so many more things to being an entrepreneur and so many more questions you're going to have that you have to ask people who've Absolutely. been in those shoes before so, yeah, when I was 20, when I just moved to Arizona, I was 25, turning 26, and I was doing the hydroponic stores, and um, and this kid, one of my buddies, goes, you got to come to this entrepreneur class with me. I'm like, I don't I don't have time for that nonsense. <laughs> so I end up, he drags me to this entrepreneur class. I stumble in. There's, you know, 30 business people in there, all shapes and sizes. Everyone goes around the room and says, you know, what do you do? I'm I'm Tom and I have a mechanics company and you know, we're doing 8 million in revenue and it got to me and I'm like, I'm Matt and I sell pot. <laughs> and, uh, this, the, the instructor, he's like 65 at the time. And he's just like shaking his head. Like, who is this kid in my class talking about drugs? Right. Yeah. So after the class, he's like, come up here. I want to talk to you. So I ended up going and talking to him. Uh, the, the guy's owned 50 different companies throughout his life. He's been fortune 500 CEO, CFO. And we've, uh, he was really my first serious mentor and it, Ever since the day I've met him, my life has, you know, propelled exponentially forward. Oh, I don't know where so I'd be cool. without that guy. Yeah. That's so awesome. The universe took yeah. you to that class right? and he Crazy, saw something right? in you. Yeah. He, he was in my he was in my office twice today, so we're still that close. <laughs> oh my How gosh, cool that's is that? awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so see, you never know. Yeah, true. Uh, you never know. So I guess the other piece of advice is don't turn down, uh, you know, an invite somewhere because you never know who you're going to meet, right? Absolutely. That's the truth. Oh, my God. Networking. We've learned that. We learned that last week when we were in Las Vegas. Just synchronicities, man. Sometimes life sets stuff up. Nice. Man, we missed you. Uh, I, got, I was getting pulled apart. Like, A bazillion places. Yeah. I think yeah. I took like 40 meetings in three days or something. Oh, man. Oh it was gosh. crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but, was, hey, I heard everybody crazy. talking about how they were at Reef. Like, that was like the That's where we was going. <laughs> I, I honestly well, can't no, even I, think of another place I, to I, go. I saw that Planet 13 opened up across the street. Oh, I've, true. I've been in there a couple of times to check it out. But I would have loved nothing more to still be running Reef and then compete with Planet 13. Like, that would be my dream. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have killed it. <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely competitive. That's yeah. great. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for chatting with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Using the knowledge they gained in the pharmaceutical industry, Vera Health is transforming the CBD space with products that actually work. 
With their scientific formulations and a world-class team, Vera Health creates CBD products with superior bioavailability for endocannabinoid system support. Vera Health products include CBD oral micro-mist sprays, CBD topical salves, and CBD soft gel capsules. See what everyone is talking about and try for yourself at www.verahealth.com. Vera, because it works.